I'm preaching a series of messages on revival. Two weeks ago, God had given me some revelation, I believe, about what he wants to do. Out of Isaiah 55, 6. I felt like it was an invitation that God's offering in this season. To seek the Lord while he may be found and, then, and to call on him while he's near. It feels to me very much like in this season that the veil between heaven and earth is thin. That the heavens are open to us. Um, I don't feel like this invitation is exclusive to us by any means. I believe God is, is sending out a wide invitation to his whole church. But we've been invited. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know how or I really don't even know when it's going to transpire. But I feel like there's an invitation from God uh, to us. And I want us to be ready. Right now for the bridge here on Long Island, I'm feeling... These are two of the main thrusts that I'm feeling for us. One is I feel a mandate to prepare you uh, to go to the streets. I feel like God's telling us to go to the streets, and I feel a personal mandate, responsibility to prepare you for that. In, to that end, we've been doing and will continue to do the streams courses and the couple of book clubs on the shack and the book Unchristian that I had mentioned. That, those are some of the things we'll do throughout uh, to the end of this year as in my um, desire to prepare you for what I believe God wants us to do. Now, I know that some of you guys have already been out to the streets, but my, my impression is, is that the vast majority of us have not. And my heart is to move the whole church forward. I'm going to really need to take advantage of those of you who've been there, who've done it. But I want to see all of us take a major step forward going out there. So I think it's worthwhile to take the next few months of preparation, to do some training, to, to read some books, to do some book clubs together where, where there'll be group discussion, where we can get to understand how we think and why we think the way we do and be challenged to think differently. These are books, I think, um, that will help us to see God as being much bigger than we previously thought. And I think it'll also help us to understand the mindset of those who are outside the church. Be good to understand where they're at before we go there. So I really feel one of the two main thrusts that I feel is to prepare us to go to the streets. I feel like that's God. The other, the other thrust is this. I believe, in faith, I believe that there is a fresh move of God coming. And we've been invited. Not just us, but we've been invited. And along with that, I feel a divine sense of responsibility to prepare you for that as well. On um, Sunday, July 26th, I went into great detail describing what God had revealed to me. It's what I saw coming. So I encourage you to listen to that message. It's free online on our website um, if you want more. Last week, um, I began preaching on 14 characteristics of revival. And I did the first half of them. I did one through seven. Those characteristics, uh, number one, was misrepresentation. When revival hits, when a fresh move of God hits, it's always misrepresented, often at the hands of pastors. The second was how revivals arise. God likes to use unlikely people in unlikely places. We qualify. Yay! <laughs> The third point I made was who, who becomes involved. It's both believers and unbelievers. And often, prodigals return. Prodigal sons and daughters, prodigal husbands and wives, they return when there's a move of God. The fourth point I made was how the news is spread. It's often messy and it's often disorganized. I think we qualify there too. <laughs> I know I do. What would I rather? Would I rather order and structure organization without God, or would I rather the presence of God if it's messy and disorganized? If I got to choose between the two, and I've had both, I'll take the presence of God even if it's messy. Okay? A little bit of God and a big mess is better than no mess and no God. Okay? That may not sound profound, but you don't know how many churches are choosing no mess and no God. Lots of them. God's messy. He is. Because what's order to him appears to be chaos to us. 
And it's, it, it makes perfect sense to him. It's just that his ways are not our ways. <laughs> and our ways that we see as structured and orderly are, are not his ways. And so who's going to win? Every day. Every day we're faced with choices between his way and our way. Are we going to choose his way or are we going to choose our way? I've spent way too much of my life choosing my way over his way. Now, I know I'm new to most of you guys, but you, would, you, you might have a hard time believing that for most of my life, I lived as an in-the-box kind of guy. I loved, I loved to write on graph paper because it had little boxes on it. And I could do little check marks. I would write things on a to-do list just so I could have the satisfaction of checking it off that it was accomplished. I'm not kidding. And then I would do something that wasn't on the list. I would put it on the list so I could check it off. <laughs> Some of you guys have done that too. I know it. And then my eyes are open and I realized God doesn't live inside my box. He's outside my box. And I really like him better than I like my boxes. So it's been frustrating at times. It's been challenging at times. Often I've had to die to myself. But it's worth it. I used to tell the people back in Washington, we had a very unusual looking sanctuary. There were, there were tables and chairs in there, kind of like you'd find in a bar. And there were couches all over the place and comfortable chairs. And it was messy. It was really, really messy in there. And I told him, I said, if I could have my way, I'd like one of those churches where all the chairs are bolted to the ground, you know? So they couldn't be moved around all over the place. But I knew that wasn't what God wanted. So why am I telling you this? That's going to happen to you too. And you're going to have to choose between your understanding of structure and order versus his understanding of structure and order. And when you're faced with that conflict, here's the question. Who wins? Who wins? Let him win. You can trust him. So the, the way the news often spreads in revival is that it's messy and disorganized. Some of the other characteristics is that when a move of God hits, there's widespread repentance and brokenness. And I've discovered that brokenness leads to repentance. Repentance leads to intimacy. And intimacy leads to release of power. Often there's a great sense of freedom, another characteristic. People are set free from sin, from bondage, from religion, from the traditions of men. And there's a connection between that repentance and that freedom, intimacy and freedom. God gave me a word picture long ago about what, what it means to be free in intimacy. And this is kind of what it looks like. I'm, I'm in the context of relationship with a community of people, and somebody hurts me. Intentionally or unintentionally, I get wounded in the process. And so I slap a piece of armor on my body. And then something else happens, and some other way I get wounded. I slap another piece of armor on my body. And every time I get wounded, another layer of protection goes up until I have this complete, full suit of armor all over my body. This is what the picture I've seen. And then he showed me that it's impossible to be intimate in a suit of armor. You simply cannot be intimate with another person if you're wearing a suit of armor. Right? I don't know, the picture worked for me. <laughs> I have to lay down my suit of armor. I have to lay down those things that I'm using to protect myself in order that I can embrace someone else and be intimate with them, right? Otherwise, my suit of armor smacks against their suit of armor and you hear clang, 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 right? Maybe that's where iron sharpens iron. I, I don't know. But it's not a good thing. I don't want to embrace somebody and feel metal, right? I hug Nadine. I want to feel the tenderness of her skin, her smooth face. The pretty lips. That's what God wants with us. He wants to embrace us. And it's hard to embrace him if we're in a suit of armor. We need to be set free. 
we need to risk again. And I've said this before, and I know it's true. Practically and intellectually, I know it's true. That if you want intimacy in a relationship, it's not a matter of if you're going to get hurt. It's just a matter of when. If you want to be intimate with any other person, if you want to be intimate with God, it's not a matter of if you're going to get hurt. Something inside of you will get offended. Something inside of you will get tweaked. Something inside of you will get hurt. What you have to decide in your heart is, is it worth it? Now, Nadine is like 99.99% perfect, all right? That zero zero, you know, that point zero zero one percent of the time where she just misses out on perfection. In those times, she's, you know, believe it or not, she's hurt me a time or two. But loving her and being loved by her is so worth it. It's priceless to me. It's nothing compared to the intimacy we've been able to share. God wants to set us free. I believe a move of God is coming. It's going to blow. The wind will blow and it will blow the suits of armor. Our own self-protection. The walls we put around our hearts. It's going to blow them away. Here's another thing I've learned. Is that when I protect myself from people, it also keeps me distant from him. I'm not exactly sure why it works that way, but it does. Every time I throw on a piece of armor to guard myself, they'll never do that to me again. I'll never be hurt like that again. Somehow, in that very same place, there's a wedge, there's a distance between me and the Lord. And that's a price I'm no longer willing to pay. If I've got to pay on one side or the other, I'd rather feel the pain and be intimate with Him than to be numb and feel nothing. I'm not alone in this, right? The other characteristic I shared last night, uh, last week was heaven on earth. Often a characteristic of heaven is that it's on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus taught us to pray. John Paul refers to it as above-the-line thinking. We set our minds, we set our hearts on things above and not on earthly things, Colossians 3.2. So those are some of the characteristics from last week. Today I want to do the, the second half of that. The other um, seven characteris- characteristics of a revival. Numbers 8 through 14. And next week what I hope to do, unless the Holy Spirit edits, is I want to begin looking at the history of revival. Some different moves of God in the past and see what God would speak to us about what he wants to do in the future. So if your Bibles are open to John chapter 12... Please begin, um, please follow as I begin reading in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, said it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment of the world. Now 
The prince of this world will be driven out. But I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little longer. Walk where you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Lord, be with us today. Take us where you want us to go. I ask that the hearts of your people would be fertile soil to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that you would humbly use me, uh, the seed planter today, to plant your word into the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that the result would be that we would be a whole lot more like Jesus. Make us to be just like him. Amen? Amen. So Greek believers wanted to debate theology with Jesus, right? They wanted to see Jesus. And they wanted to discuss theology with him. Instead, Jesus tells them that they must die to themselves and lay down their lives. Even the audible voice of the Father failed to convince them. Is that amazing? Here we have God in the flesh standing there. And they get to meet God in the flesh. And their choice is to debate theology with him. So if Jesus materialized in the flesh right here now, of all the different things that we could do with him, would debating theology be at the top of your list? If it is, I just want to weep for you. <laughs> even, in, even with that, the audible voice of God shows up. And it still doesn't convince them. It still doesn't sway them from what God's talking about, from what Jesus is saying. Recently, God has speak, spoken to me, and this is what he told me. He told me that this would be a year of suffering, death, and resurrection. This would be a year of suffering, death, and resurrection. I was like, woohoo. And if I'm correct, if my discerning is correct, that we're currently in the dying phase. And that's exactly what this text is talking about. And a kernel of wheat must fall to the ground and die. And if it dies, it'll produce many seeds. The promise is that production of many seeds. I want you to know that I, for one, am determined to follow him. I want to follow him wherever he leads. If where he leads is a place of suffering, and that's where he's going, that's where I want to go. If where he leads is a place of death, then that's where I want to go. I trust him and I believe for resurrection. The man who loves his life will lose it. Well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. What does that mean for you? He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. I must. I must. I absolutely must follow him. And even if it costs me everything, <laughs> it's still a great deal. Okay, characteristics of revival, the next seven. I said this last week, just worth uh, mentioning again, that 
most of these characteristics were taken from the writings of revival historian Dr. Richard Rice. Some people may say Riss. Great um, author on, on revival history. Okay, another characteristic. This is the eighth one. Ministry itself is impacted during divine visitation. God often raises up people as instruments to bring about revival who have few natural talents or abilities. He uses unlikely people in unlikely places. Remember the, what I shared a few weeks ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many were of noble birth, right? Not many were wise by human standards. God seems to delight in using the unlikely. And he uses these people, his word, God's word goes forth in power. God's anointing is, um, uh, is on the preaching and the teaching. There's often special anointing on counsel and on music um, that will penetrate the hearts of people. Often there's considerable revelation upon God's word, which takes on a new freshness. When, the, when there's a move of God, and I've had the privilege to, to live through many of them, people will preach on scripture texts that I've looked at countless times. I've preached on myself. And they'll bring insight out of that very text that I'd never seen before. Or it seemed like I just read over it again and again and again and missed the significance of that text. God seems to illuminate his word, another characteristic. People in revival invariably are orthodox in their theology, especially on the basics of the Christian faith. There's often great emphasis on the Bible and on teaching. There's great stress often laid upon suffering, on the cross, on the blood, and on the death of Jesus. And just, it's just worth repeating here. It's exactly what I want. I want us to do old things new ways. I want us to be a people who venture and explore and play outside the box. But as we do that... I want us to hold to the orthodoxy of the faith. What we believe ought not change at all. The word of God is the word of God. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Those are non-negotiables. How we live it, how we express it, how we communicate it to other people, lots of room for change. But to hold to the orthodoxy of the faith. This is where we get in trouble. This is where religion happens is we take what we believe and how we express it and we put it all in one package. And we believe that unless we continue to express it the way we always did express it, then we're not believing it the way we always believed it. That's not true. You sitting here in this room are an absolute perfect example of that. Many of you came out of the Vineyard Movement. The Vineyard Movement is a classic example of people who held to the orthodoxy of the faith but found a very new and different way of expressing it. Certainly different than our Protestant brothers and sisters or our Catholic brothers and sisters. Even very different from some of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. We still believe the same thing. The Word of God is the inherent, inherent Word of God. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. But we found new ways of expressing it in our lives. We dressed differently. Our music changed. The way we interacted with other people. How we prayed for the sick. All that was new and different. I believe we're about to take another step forward in that evolution. We will still hold to the truth of what we believe, but how we express it? I believe the church is about to go through another metamorphosis. It's about to radically change Again, you'll find it easier to embrace that change. You'll be, find it easier to lose your life and take up his life if you can see the difference between what I believe and how I express it as being two separate things. And that there's little room for change in what I believe, 
lots of room for change in how I express what I believe. Okay, I think that was God. Because that wasn't in my notes. Also, in uh, moves of God, there's physical manifestations that take place. People fall under the power of the Holy Spirit. They begin to laugh or to cry. They develop characteristics similar to drunkenness. Anybody ever felt drunk in the Spirit? I have been carried out of more than one church meeting. One of the biggest conferences I'd ever hosted um, um, who was, Larry Randolph was there. There were hundreds of people in this place, maybe 500 people in this room. And Larry gets up to minister, and I don't know if it was by design or just inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he took out every leader I had. I'm not even sure he knew who they were. He went around the room and picked off every person that I would have left as a responsible person in charge. He prayed for them and wiped them out. They were out on the ground. And then he said, his sight's on me. And he prayed for me. They had to carry me to the car. My son, bless his heart, took a videotape of helping, <laughs> helping me crawl up the stairs and get into bed. <laughs> yeah. YouTube video. <laughs> oh, my goodness. God was sending me a loud and clear message that night. I'm in charge. <laughs> You're not in charge. <laughs> the leaders you have, my gift to you, they're not in charge either. I'm in charge. The meeting went fine. It went great. It was messy. It didn't fit within my organizational boxes at all. But I slept really, really good that night. You know? John Paul tells a funny story. I forget where he was, but... Um, He's at a rather conservative church. And they told him, look, we want you to preach, but we don't want you to do any of this prophetic stuff. <laughs> and he's thinking, do you know who I am? <laughs> Why did you invite me? But those are the house rules, and he's all about playing by the rules. And he said, fine, he wouldn't do anything. His church had pews, and it's kind of like on the incline, the sanctuary. And so he gets up and begins to speak. He opens with prayer. And people, especially young people in the back of the room, begin to laugh. He hasn't, he hasn't laid hands on anybody. He hasn't prophesied over a person. He just opened the meeting of prayer. Time's going to preach. The kids start shaking. They start rolling on the floor underneath the pews down to the front of the sanctuary. He said, next thing you know, he said, there are people out everywhere as drunk in the spirit as you can imagine. Him and, him and the pastor of the church, they, they leave. Um, it's, you know, people, it's still a mess. There's bodies everywhere. They, say they go out into the parking lot. There are people who are you know, draped over the hood of their car and who's half in the car, who's out. The Holy Spirit just hammered these people. This is a sovereign thing that God did. They begin to leave. They, they turn out of the parking lot and they're going down the street and they see a fire engine coming this way. And they realized that fire engine is going to the church. So they turned around and go back. The fire alarm went off at the firehouse saying that there was a fire at the church. And the firemen show up and there are bodies everywhere laying down in the parking lot throughout sanctuary. They thought it was like some kind of gas leak or something. John Paul in the past had to explain, no, this is really God. See, that's messy. Guys, that's messy when God does that. Right? His ways are not our ways. But he had his way. So sometimes this happens, and some of you have seen it. In the process of that, people are healed. Physically they're healed. Emotionally they're healed. I like that stuff. Another characteristic is passion for the written word. The Bible becomes alive. There's a deep thirst for the word of God. People hang on every word that's preached. Often, recordings of, of services are passed from person to person to person. There's a phenomenal increase in the sale of New Testaments. Hmm. 
the people that God used in, in these meetings often get more invitations to preach than they could ever possibly fill. Often another characteristic of a move of God in revival is that people move beyond the superficial into the deeper things of God. A spirit of sacrifice is often uh, prevalent in a revival. People will give of their time, of their energy, they'll sacrifice their lifestyles for what God's doing. People spend whole nights in prayer, anything to be in the presence of God. Moves like this often produce within the hearts of believers a passion and zeal for the lost. There's an increased interest in world missions. People will feel a call to go to this nation or to that nation, and they often go. God brings revelation at these times. Eyes are open. Ears can hear spiritually. It's a time when people gather together. They'll share their spiritual journeys and build up one another. Superficial professions of uh, liturgical church expression are just, com- just pale in comparison to what God's doing. There's more of an emphasis on the spiritual life, former things, the traditions seem to be um, inadequate for people who are, ex- who are experiencing a fresh move of God. Another way to say it, old wineskins are exchanged for new. But some other things are often, uh, often recognizable in a fresh move of God. There's a rise of Im- impurities. That which is in you comes out of you when there's a move of God. I've said if you squeeze an apple, you get apple juice. You squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. What does God get when he squeezes you? <laughs> What's in you is what's going to come out of you. So if there's impurities in us, the presence of God, that pressure, that intensity of his, of his presence, it will, it will um, purge out of us what's in us. And let me tell you what, that's messy too. Anybody ever pop a pimple? <laughs> Ooh. Human frailty is inevitable in a revival. Some examples. There's often a belief in the, um, in the sense that Jesus is coming, and he's coming right now. He's coming really soon. And one of the mistakes that people make is they begin to set dates on when he's going to come. Am I the only one who booked 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988? That's on my bookshelf somewhere, or in a box in the basement. I like to set dates, and they're all wrong. Some people like to try and mold a revival to their own taste or to control it in some way, and those people are usually swept away. You can't control it. (laughs) If you try to control it, you just kill it. I remember when Toronto broke out. I forget the exact year. It was like in January when things exploded in Toronto. Well, we were in West Virginia at the time, and about three months before things blew up in Toronto, exploded, the presence of God, holy laughter broke out. We were in a church in north central West Virginia, and a guest speaker came to town. And he began to pray for people, and they were falling on the ground laughing everywhere. It was unbelievable. I can remember he had a whole line of us up front, and he starts praying on that end of the room. And I'm like, over here. And as he gets closer and closer, I begin to laugh louder and louder. And it's not like a little bit of snicker that's kind of under your breath. I am laughing out loud. And it's beyond my control. And I knew it was the presence of God. And I'm not the kind of person who's saying, I'm not you know, the kind of guy who's like, oh, I want all this attention. You know, I don't want it at all. I want to go hide somewhere. It's killing me that this is happening. You, I'm a big guy. I, you could not hide me in that room. The sanctuary is vastly larger than this one, but I'm laughing so loud everybody knew it. And as he got closer to me, it got worse and worse and worse. Now, by the time he gets to me, all these people are already on the floor. And, he, and as he reaches out his hand to touch me, 
It was like a thousand volts of electricity just started shaking through my body. And I, in my brain, I'm thinking, if I fall down, I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm going to land on somebody else's body. Next thing you know, they'll be praying for healing. Well, he takes me by the hand and somehow gets me up the steps on the platform. And there, boom, I hit the ground and I stayed. And so this guy was in town for like three nights or four nights. And it didn't matter who you are, the most stoic people in that church. And some of these people were stiff. <laughs> they were stiff as a board, right? And they went down, stiff as a board. Boom! Now, the presence of God showing up every night. And I'm thinking, let's just keep doing this, you know? If God keeps showing up, let's just keep meeting as long as he's showing up, right? We'll stop when he stops. Well, that's not exactly how the leaders of that church felt. And so the, the three days of meetings that they had this guy in for, they had something else on the schedule, the church agenda, to do the days afterwards. So they ended it. And it stopped. And about three months later, the same thing that we experienced there exploded in Toronto. I'm like, hmm, did we just miss something here? I'm not saying that God wanted to use that church or that place instead of Toronto, but we had something about three months before they did. And then they had it. God will not be denied. He'll find the people who are willing to embrace what he's doing. These guys, good men, God-fearing men, they needed to have a pretty significant level of control. They, they needed that. And they had it. And it stopped whatever God was doing. But those were three or four amazing, amazing days. But some of the impurities that will come out is a need for control. Especially if it gets really, really messy. I think God works and moves in ways sometimes. And we don't understand it when it happens. Sometimes it's just enough to know that it's him. And then sometimes, if we're lucky, it makes sense to us later on. We have enough wisdom or enough intellect later on to somehow capture and comprehend what happened. It's very rare if in the midst of it do we have that. And so the greater our need for understanding, the more difficult it'll be for us to just embrace it. First time I ever seen John Wimber speak, back in 1985, Ashland, Ohio. He's doing a conference on church growth and the kingdom of God in the 90s. Great conference. There's a ministry time. And he, I forget what he said, you know, who's ever feeling blah, 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 come forward. I was feeling it. And there's a whole bunch of people in front of the platform. And I remember standing up there, and I am crying hysterically. I am crying as hard as I've ever cried in my whole life. From the depth of my being, I'm crying. And then John Wimber said something in his prayer, and in an instant, it changed from hysterical crying to hysterical laughter. Emotionally, I didn't know that that was possible. It certainly had never happened to me before. And I remember John Wimber began to explain what was going on. And this helped me. He said, look, he said, right now God's taking the trash out of your life. He's got the garbage bags in his hand and he's walking out with the trash. He says, you can just let him take the trash out. Or he can dump out the bags in the living room carpet and you can just wade through all of it. Those of us who wanted to understand, Right? He said, my encouragement to you is just let him take the garbage out. And that's what he, he was healing people emotionally. He was healing me emotionally. He was taking out my garbage. Sometimes we just got to let him do what he, what he wants to do. And our need to understand maybe isn't really all that important. But that really violates and grates against an American mindset. You know? It's really hard for us. But oftentimes it's a place of faith. It's that um, Rita Springer song, right? I don't understand your ways, but oh, I give you my song. 
I give you all of my praise, right? It's going to be worth it all. Oh, so many times I don't understand his ways. But you know, that helps me. I want to follow and serve a God that's bigger than my ability to comprehend. If I understood everything, if I had a box for everything and an answer for every question, and I could fit God inside my mind, he's no longer God, I am. I need a God who's bigger than my ability to comprehend. And I need him to act like like a God who's bigger than my ability to comprehend. I want him to do and act and perform in certain ways that's going to rock my world and mess me up. It reminds me how big he is and how limited I am. That's what happens oftentimes in a move of God, in revival. We're reminded how big he is and how small we are. So there's controversy. When that happens, when he, when he begins blowing up our God boxes, people who spent their whole lives constructing their box, they get pretty upset. And so there's controversy. There's always bad reports about what goes on in a revival. Some of them are true, and some of them are false. Many people remain aloof for this reason. Well, if it ain't perfect, I'm not going to be in it. If it was God, it would be perfect. Yeah, God's in it, but he's using us. <laughs> the water supply is perfectly clean. We're the ones with kinks in our hoses. The problem's on our end, not his end. So a revival is always accompanied by a great deal of controversy. There's always intense opposition and persecution and it comes from the church for reasons I don't fully understand but I know it's true the last move of God always attacks the next move of God I'm determined not to do that I don't want to do that John Paul says it this way to the old wine the new wine will always look like rebellion to the old wine the new wine will always look like rebellion And it's not rebellion. It's God. It's him pouring out new wine. Every revival experiences these things. And because revival always involves an advancement of God's kingdom, there's spiritual warfare. There's a resistance against it. And too many times, God's people become instruments in the hands of the enemy. The enemy will attempt to hinder the work of God at all costs. And he'll attempt to discredit revival um, often uh, through the hands of God's own people. Another characteristic of a move of God or revival is they seem to have a bell curve. It reaches a height and then eventually begins to, to peter off. We see that again and again throughout history. The bad news is that a revival will crest to a high point and then decrease. After a revival crests, offenses will come. Many people will feel ill ill will instead of goodwill toward the leaders of a revival. They'll begin to disapprove of what they had formerly approved. They'll hold fast to bad reports, true or false, in order to justify their change in attitude. Many of those who are more or less convinced uh, will be afraid or ashamed to acknowledge uh, their conviction of faith. Another way of saying it is at some point the fear of man again overtakes the fear of God in the hearts and minds of men. But the good news is that there are long-term effects. There's fruit. Sometimes we see new flood of of music, a new expression of worship um, is circulated throughout the church. In every denomination, people use vineyard music today. You can go to a Baptist church, you can go to a Catholic church, and they're playing old vineyard songs. That's amazing. That's astounding. That's some of the long-lasting fruit.
there's often on the people who are part of this move, there's a lasting, profound effect on their lives. It spawns, it gives birth to great ministries that thrive well past the time of the revival. All new people are raised up. Often society itself is impacted and social reforms take effect. So those are, um, those are the 14 characteristics. I thought it would be valuable to be aware. Help us not to be blind or unaware. If God comes and begins to do wild and crazy things in our midst, the wind begins to blow and it catches our sail. A fresh move of God takes place and we, we say yes to the invitation and he moves in our midst. Maybe we can remind each other of some of the things I said over the last couple of weeks. Maybe you can remind me. If I start breaking out the graph paper again. <laughs> and so when that time comes, maybe we'll be less likely to resist a move of the Spirit. We'll be less likely to quench what God's actually doing. And we'll embrace it. That's what I want to see happen. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord. What do you want to do today, Lord? Come and blow up our God boxes. Come and do God-sized things. Come and do God-like things in our midst. Hmm. Lord, I ask that you would break our hearts and give us your heart. Break our hearts today and give us your heart. Hmm. More of you, Lord. Just, just help me here a little bit. Would you just kind of put your hands out? Kind of put your hands out open. Just focus on love. Just put your hands out. More of you, Lord. More of you. More of you. Holy Spirit, come. Does anybody feel like a weightiness in their hands? Maybe almost like you're carrying like a five-pound... Uh, barbell in your hand, like a weightiness in your hand. You're feeling that? Come here. Anybody else feeling that weightiness in your hand? It's like your hands are empty, but boy, it feels like you got something heavy in there. Anybody? You feeling that too? Come on up here. Oh, Lord. I think there's a couple of other people. Well, let me feel the weight. You guys are going to help me pray. Why don't you come up over, over here? <laughs> Who else feels a weightiness in their hands? You feel that? feel it in the fingertips. I feel it in the, in the palms of my hand. Really intense, right in the very center of my palm. Like a weight of pressure being pressed in there. What it feels like to me. Anybody else feeling that? Yeah? Thank you, Lord. More of you, Lord. More of you. Thank you, Jesus. I think there's one more person. And uh, you're a little bit nervous. You know it's you. And you're thinking, I don't want to do this. 
He's going to make me pray for people. I don't want to pray for people. God can't really want to use me. Yeah, you're the one. Today's your day. Hmm. You feel that in your hands? Getting a little bit... Now it's, it's weighty, but now it's getting hot, too. <laughs> Feels like it's burning up in your hand. Come, Lord, come. Really, I'm um, really intense on the thumbs. It feels like. You have red hair. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to give any more clues. Let me just, Lord, I ask that you just pour out your spirit now. I just feel like there's anointing on these folks up here today. I'm really convinced that everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. I like letting God pick who he wants to use. More of you, Lord. More. So, I feel like there's, um, God's picked these people, and that there's anointing on them today to give you what you need. And uh, one of the needs that I sense is uh, kind of like as we prayed when we saw this service today, that, that the stuff of life has kind of let us get numb. Our hearts grow cold, and, or we just get busy with life, and it just get, distracts us from the stuff of God. Um, I felt like the, the heaviness, the weight in the hands was like that they had sledgehammers in their hands. And they're going to be able to break off the, the outer shell, the hardness that forms, that crust that forms on our hearts. Just we go through the stuff of life like a, like a hammer, boom, to break off that shell. So, so if you feel that way, say, this is not to be embarrassed, there's help for you. You're not being judged. I'm thinking God's saying, hey, I love you. I know how you feel. I understand what you're going through. And I'm making provision for you today. If you need help, if you're like, I can't quite get there. I feel stuck. I feel like there's this big old hunking suit of armor on me and I want it off. Then there's help for you today. I invite you to come forward. Let people pray for you. Thank you. John, could you find some appropriate music, buddy? <clears throat> And just go to the person the Spirit leads you to. Let them pray for you. <laughs> 